0: Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Hello and welcome to episode 97 of Who Killed. I'm your host Bill Huffman and this is of course a slow burn media production. On this week's episode we'll be doing something a little bit different. I speak with true crime author Vic Ferrari and our conversation is a little bit more lighthearted than the typical fare that you get on this program and During this time of year, we all need a little bit of a break from the, you know, monotony of bad news. And I feel like this conversation with Vic was uh, was pretty entertaining. And I think you guys will understand why he is a former New York City police detective. And he worked for the auto theft unit from 1987 until 2007. So it is an interesting conversation. He is... A New York City police detective through and through—you can tell. And again, the conversation is on the more lighthearted scale. There are some very funny stories in there. Uh, we do talk about some homicides, but again, this is a more lighthearted episode. And my conversation with Vic was great. All of his books are available on Amazon. And this week we will be discussing his new book and. Let's just jump into my conversation with former NYPD detective Vic Ferrari. Thank you guys again for listening this week. This week on Who Killed, I am very lucky to be joined by author Vic Ferrari, who is a former NYPD detective, and he is here to talk about his new book. And welcome to the show, Vic. Thanks for joining us. Bill thank you very much for having me on your show I appreciate it absolutely and you know you reached out via Twitter and you know we hooked up that way and obviously you're a former police detective and give give my listeners just a little bit of background about what your books are about and you know the book that you're currently you know promoting um I'm a retired
1: NYPD detective I grew up in the Bronx um New York City kid um joined the NYPD I became a detective, I think I had about 10 years in, and then my last 10, I was a detective. I worked in the Organized Crime Control Bureau, specifically the uh, the NYPD's auto crime division. And anything with car thieves, chop shops, vehicle export out of the country, stolen vehicles being exported out of the country, sophisticated scams, insurance fraud, um, mobsters, chop shops, you know, the cases like that I worked on. So after I retired, uh, about 15 years ago, I got into writing and uh, I've had some success with several of my books that are NYPD themed. And, you know, like I said earlier to you, uh, people like yourself are nice enough to put me on your show. And uh, my latest book, Grand Theft Auto Stories from Inside the NYPD's Auto Crime Division, is just that everything you ever wanted to know about the stolen car industry, but were afraid to ask
0: yeah I thought that was a very interesting title, especially you know with the grand Theft auto games, video games being in the zeitgeist and being so popular with the younger generations and I think it to put like a true aspect on it and true perspective from your perspective law perspective, it's got to be interesting and especially when you think about you know i i I'm a writer, so I also think about you know, fictional versions of like movies like Gone in 60 Seconds where, they're, where like there's shipping containers and there's all that other stuff. And it's like, you just mentioned shipping cars overseas and, you know, b- busting up mob chop shops and things like that. Like, could you give me like an example of, you know, one of the bigger busts that you had or one of the more unusual? Yeah, sure. Um, Probably around uh,
1: 2000. We were noticing a trend in stolen Audis, specifically the A6 models, specifically silver and black. And the vehicles were disappearing all over the place and they weren't turning up. So usually, you know, a car is there's cars vehicles get stolen in trends. There's a market for them, be it it's a hot new car and people get into accidents. So then the thieves steal them to provide the parts to body shops. Well, these Audis were getting stolen, but they weren't turned up. They weren't turning up. They weren't turned up. Uh turning up chopped up or abandoned or stripped. They were just vanished off the face of the earth. So we knew they were going, we knew they had to be leaving the country. And what wound up happening was they were getting stolen at such a rate, they were, I mean, they were hitting dealerships where 10, 15 cars over the weekend were just vanishing. So what it turned out to be was there was a uh, ex-Chinese military intelligence officer, which I think he still was working with the Chinese government. But anyway, he came over and he was living in Bay Ridge. And what he did was he used to go to salvage shops and body shops. And he hooked up with a Jamaican guy from the Bronx. The Jamaican guy from the Bronx farmed out uh, a steel team of guys that would go out and steal Audi A6s. Now, the the Jamaican was paid $5,000 a car. The Jamaican would pay the thieves anywhere between 500 and 1,000 to take the cars. Once the cars were stolen, they were brought back to Brooklyn. They were put in a warehouse on Metropolitan Avenue in Brooklyn, and Chinese nationals were loading the cars into shipping containers. So, what they would do is they would put two cars in a shipping container, two Audis in a shipping container. They would take the air out of the tires so the vehicles would sit lower in the container. Then they would build wooden platforms where they could drive two more cars up into the thing. So they were putting three to four stolen Audis per shipping container. From there, the, uh, the containers were uh, driven out to Newark, New Jersey, where they were put on trains and railed across the United States to California, where they were put on shipping containers in Long Beach and sent out to the Pacific Rim. Now, <laughs> you might ask, Who's getting these cars? Like, who in China has this money? Well, government officials. So the cars were going over there to rich people in China, specifically government officials, and they were paying between fifty dollars and $60,000 a car. So it was a lucrative business for everybody. Um, and the reason the vehicles were silver and black is not because they were Oakland Raider fans. <laughs> government officials drive silver and black vehicles over in China. So... Um, while you have this all going on, um, we needed Asian NYPD's 40,000 cops, so we had Asian cops monitoring wiretaps on the Asians, we had Spanish cops monitoring the car thieves who were speaking in Spanish, we had a couple of detectives that, that were, uh, what's the expression? Jamaican isn't an. Some of our thieves were also Jamaican, had heavy Jamaican accents, and so we needed their expertise because some of the words they were using, we had no idea what they were talking about. Our wire room looked like something out of a movie. I mean, <laughs> you had multiple languages going on in, in one place. The United Nations of of uh yeah that's exactly (laughs) what it was like so we're on the wall so now once we're up on these guys phones and we're following them around it starts to dawn on us that the spanish car thieves are in the murder for hire business so in addition to getting paid for the stolen cars they're doing hits on the side and one of the guys that was stealing the cars for the chinese we linked him to about 13 homicides I mean, it was just like something like you pull a string on a sweater and it just keeps unraveling, unraveling, unraveling. So, I mean, I know you're going to have a lot of questions with this, but long story short, once we took the case down, I mean, we locked up a handful of Chinese nationals who wound up going to jail and then being deported. Um, We locked up all the thieves, some of which are in jail for the rest of their life because they were involved in homicides, covered countless cars. We went to the State Department and said, "Hey, you know, we think the Chinese government's involved in it," and they really kind of blew us off. Um, so it was a really good case. It was run out of um, it was run out of the Bronx, but actually, it was prosecuted in Westchester County. I don't know if you watch Fox News, Janine Piero was on TV. Judge Janine, her office actually ran that case. It was a joint effort with the Westchester County District Attorney's Office and the NYPD.
0: Okay, that's uh, yeah, that first. <laughs> I know. Wait, question, where do to <laughs> begin? Yeah, where do you begin? The first question I have about that, which is, I guess, a basic one, is: they're paying fifty, sixty thousand dollars for the cars. How much were the cars? or they were they just not able to get them in China? Correct. Okay. Okay. Correct. So they,
1: yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know really the logistics behind it, but a lot of these countries. it's just the tariffs and stuff. Well, when the cars were getting shipped there, they weren't getting shipped as cars. Right. They, they, you know, they, they pay people off. And so this way they can get the cars in without having to pay the heavy tariffs and taxes on them.
0: Sure. That, yeah, that's okay. So that, so that's, that makes sense. And my, my thought is what were the Chinese nationals or the, people you know the officials over there thinking when all these other guys are driving around in Audis and they're like hey where can I get one <laughs> yeah where can I where, where can I get one of these right guys? is this how and so you said you had all these different you know people on the wire and I mean man that is that is a wild hit. what about the 13 homicides what did those how did well, those get, least how did those what were those like just cover-ups like no no um what it was is well there were several guys that
1: did homicides um so there there were these this crew of thieves were i mean they they would they'd steal anything that wasn't nailed down and what they would do is they would steal cars they would steal motorcycles and what they would do is they would go in a gang right and they would Mm -hmm. ride around the city on motorcycles And, you know, they'd see you with a brand new, at the time, Honda CBR. They kind of surround you. They'd ride up to you with a light. And one of the guys would get off the back of the bike with a gun and say, get off the bike. And if you didn't get off that bike fast enough, a couple of people died that way. They they lost their lives because they either hesitated or didn't get off that bike fast enough. And they killed him, left him dead for the street, Mm -hmm. left him dead in the street. Um, These guys also would travel out of state and do commercial burglaries. So while we were up on the wire, they went down to Virginia. I think uh, I think it was Woodbridge. Um, they went down to a um, a Honda dealership, a motorcycle, a Harley or a Honda, I forget. I mean, it's, we're talking 20 years ago. But sure. they went to a motorcycle dealership in Virginia and did a commercial burglary with a U-wall truck <laughs> and brought back stolen bikes, helmets, jackets. I mean, if you've ever been to a motorcycle dealership, parts, I mean, they, they cleared the place out. And then they were selling the materials piecemeal to a garage this guy had in the Bronx. Well, one of the kids in the neighborhood figured out where they were keeping the stolen stuff. He did a burglary and ripped off a couple of things from this guy's garage. Well, he didn't take kindly to it. So two of these thieves went out and killed the guy. And then another guy in the group, he was literally a hitman. I mean, if you had $5,000, he'd kill somebody for you. And uh, he did a murder up in um, Hartford. What happened was um, years before we got involved in this, there were these three guys that were robbing banks, robbing cars up in Hartford. One went to jail and didn't rat out his friends. When he got out of jail, he went to his two friends and said, hey, I kept my mouth shut for X amount of years. You guys are now running the drug trade in Hartford. I want my cut. Well, they kind of didn't want a new partner. So they kind of patted him on the head, treating him as a lackey, go pick up this kilo, go beat this guy up, go kill this guy, go deliver this. This guy wasn't going for it. So what he did was he kidnapped one of their couriers, put him in the trunk of his car for a weekend, beat the hell out of the guy, tortured him, took his drugs, sent him back to his old former partners and said, tell those guys I'm serious. (laughs) I'm a partner or there's going to be a lot of problems. Well, they didn't want a partner, so what they did was they contracted our thieves down in the Bronx who went up there with a motorcycle and a U-Haul truck. They followed this guy around. Um, They pulled up to him on a motorcycle, shot him in the head. They cut him up, I mean, shot him like 13, 14 times, took off on a motorcycle, drove the motorcycle into a U-Haul truck, closed the U-Haul truck, took the U-Haul truck down I-95 back to the Bronx, chopped up the bike, threw the gun away, so I mean, these guys were just doing hits. I mean, if you had money and access to these guys,
0: they'd kill you. Yeah, and that sounds like uh, straight out of a movie. No pun. In- I mean, that is that sounds just like a movie script. <laughs> <At> a- <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, it is. I mean, it is. You know, that's the crazy thing is the reality is crazier than what somebody can come up with in a writer's room. And um, wow, well, that that case. Jeez. So how many, how many officers did you guys have working on that?
1: Uh my office had, let's say my office probably was using at the time, two teams. So There's probably 10 NYPD guys. Uh, we had the New York state police. They probably had 10 guys involved and the Westchester County DA's office had five, probably about 25 people. But then when the case gets taken down, when, when, when the crap hit the fan,
0: Mm -hmm. And that's
1: even another story that's interesting because the case was supposed to the case kind of got blown up. It got exposed. And once we got the bad guys knew we were on to them, it was one of those things we had to round everybody up. So then we had to call in reinforcements and start grabbing guys. I mean, me and another detective literally grabbed two of the factory workers coming out of an apartment with a suitcase with tickets, airline tickets. They were gone. I mean, we just caught them literally on their way to
0: Kennedy. Wow. Wow. So how long does an investigation like that take to to finally get to that point where you take them down? Um,
1: well, the case started in Westchester about a year before they were uh-huh. on to them. But the New York State police got too close to the to the Asians and the Asians closed their shop. They closed the factory and they vanished. And the cars were registered to fictitious people. The driver's license they had were to fictitious people. I mean, the the amount of um insulation these guys did to protect themselves from prosecution i mean was quite impressive um a case like that i mean you kind of want to see i mean once the homicides started coming in these guys were talking about homicides i mean that kind of paramount that trumps everything i mean sure you want to solve these homicides and find out what else they're into i mean yeah we got them for all these cars but now they're now they're doing burglaries now they're doing homicides so it was at the point, it, it was getting to the point that had we heard anything of them plotting a homicide, obviously we were going to pull them off the street. But um, what wound up happening was they got greedy. Um, the Asians wanted more cars and they were real. I mean, these guys were stealing 30 cars a month and the Asians wanted more. I mean, it, the, the conversations on the phone were so funny. Like one time it was Valentine's Day and the Jamaican was pleading with the Chinese guy that was running the scam. Cause the Asian guy wanted more cars and the Jamaicans like, Hey man, it's Valentine's day. They want <laughs> to spend time with the ladies. And you hear a pause on the phone and the Chinese guy goes, I don't care about that. I want cars. <laughs> so <laughs> you had a cultural thing going like, these guys wanted to take a couple of days off from stealing. And the Asians wanted the cars. Um, the, the way the whole thing blew up was the main thief on um, the Spanish guy, Mario he, he was getting pressure to bring in more cars and hire more guys to steal for him. So they were going to take 10 or 15 cars in one shot. Mario knew a guy on the upper East side of Manhattan that was a parking attendant. So he paid the guy three grand and Mario shows up with 10 friends. They get the keys to 10 cars they tie up the friend and put him in the trunk and say, "Give us about fifteen minutes, a half hour." And then start banging on the trunk and call the police. When the police come, just say, "You know, you didn't recognize these guys. They were wearing ski masks and they took the car." So the parking attendant's in on this particular theft. So we've got we've got detectives outside the garage. We've got cameras up. I mean, we've got the phones. We're listening to this thing go live, right? Like a charm. They go in with ten guys. They leave with ten cars. The cars are in the garage in Brooklyn with the gate down. When the guy starts pounding on the car, the precinct cops come, they take a report for, uh, you know, a burglary and armed robbery in the whole nine yards. Right. So great. The cars are in the, uh, the, the, the warehouse in Brooklyn. So you hear on the phone, Mario talking to like one of his lieutenants, he goes, did you check those cars for GPS and LoJack? And the guy goes, yeah. He goes, no, don't yeah, 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 me. Were well, the cars swept? And the guy goes, Yeah, 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 don't worry about it. Well, they weren't. So when we do cases like this, we don't tell the priests and cops what we're up to because for a variety of reasons. Cops and are, are are curious by nature. The last person you tell is the priest and cop if you've got a case going on in a place, because they'll park in front of it. They're curious. They're like children. They want, it's like if you tell your kid, I got Christmas presents in the bedroom. What are they going to do when you're not home? They're going to look under the bed and see what you got. Never did that so, as a kid. Right. So, so precinct cops can blow up your case. And then sometimes it's sad, but sometimes and it's rare, but you got dirtbag cops that will try to sell the information. So we keep it separate from what's going on from the precinct cops. What will wound up happening is that LoJack or a GPS is now pinging in the garage. The precinct cops go running in like the cavalry and they find a bunch of Chinese guys. You
0: know,
1: <laughs> What? what's Chinese guys up? and they had built a false wall so they couldn't see the cars either. Mm. So the Chinese guy said, let me get my boss. They take off. They start calling everybody. And now the phones are blowing up the cops, the cops at the warehouse. Okay. So now everybody's taking off in different directions. So we had to basically get a team of 50 guys in like an hour and just start picking these guys off. And we got everybody. I mean, it was, uh, we're very lucky. So,
0: Oh, that is, that is insane. And who, so who was the, was it Mario that was getting the most of the money? Like, cause you said they were paying 50, 60 grand. Ian, the
1: Jamaican, Ian, the Jamaican was getting paid five grand a car. Mm -hmm. Um, Mario was getting probably a thousand a car. Um, So, so it's like, so every, it's like anything else. Like every time something touches someone's hand, the price goes up. Sure. So the Jamaican was getting paid 5000 from from the Asians. Then he would give Mario a 1000 or 2000 and then Mario would pay his guys 500, 300. What, I guess however he deemed them, you know, how many cars they could bring him how, how good they were,
0: you know what I mean? Right. The relationship he had with them, how long they were stealing with him for. So so what hap- what, what happened to that big chunk there though like who gets that money that the that the chinese nationals paid you know if they're paying 50 60 then over there
1: so so the guy Jin yang so um... so
0: yeah okay so somebody on the chinese side that's getting the most of the money
1: Right, but but the guy, but the guy, but the guy running it in Brooklyn was was definitely a partner in it. Oh, and, for sure. And he told us he had a bro- well. He didn't tell us, but we got it on the phones. He had a brother in California <laughs> supposedly doing the same thing. But he told Mario when they all got locked up. Oh, Mario told us that when Mario got locked up, when he flipped because Mario flipped and started giving us all the homicides because Mario never pulled the trigger as far as we know. But Mario was the getaway driver in multiple homicides. Oh, so Mario told us. Um, that while they were all sitting in jail, um, the agent told him, you know, the agent was like impressed with Mario's work ethic. And he says, <laughs> if we get, if we get out, he goes, I got a brother in California that I can send you to who's doing the same thing.
0: Wow. And this is 20 years
1: ago. They were doing this crap.
0: Yeah. It sounds very sophisticated as far as like, I mean, just the amount of hoops that they were jumping through. And I mean, they had laser coated keys by at that point. I think, didn't they? I mean, they They did, but not on the Audis. They didn't have the immobilizers yet. Gotcha. Okay. So they are just
1: punching the ignition and they were gone.
0: Gone. Wow. So that must have been one of the largest cases that you worked, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, And probably the most interesting.
0: Sure. What? Who's the, you know, it's always good to talk to to former cops because they always have former detectives. Cause they always have great stories about the not so smart <laughs> uh, car thieves. <laughs> you have any uh, interesting tales of, uh, you know, people uh, not being so smart.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, listen, uh, career criminals are smart. It's just that they're, they're lazy that they don't want to work nine to five jobs. I mean, and some of them are fascinating you know, yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, some aren't so smart. Um, a uh, guy in my office was a pretty funny case. I went with him to lock the woman up. So what she would do is she would advertise when Craigslist first started 15, 20 years ago, whenever it started, she would advertise her car for sale and people would come, they kick the tires, they'd look at the car and uh, they'd negotiate a price and, um, she'd sell them the car she'd sign the title over to them give them a set of keys and you know pocket the money and but she would talk to them and ask them questions where they were from and yada 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 but what she would always do is she would always order through dmv a duplicate title and have a a spare set of keys so she'd (laughs) wait a month or two go back and steal her car go to a police station with the title and find a cop that wasn't so smart and say, I, you know, I don't know how this happened, but I'm, you know, my name's on this title, blah, 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 blah. And get the police to cancel the alarm for her. Right. (laughs) And then she would just go out and slap the plates back on her car. Well, she, she did it like three or four times selling the same car to three (laughs) or four victims until finally, you know, some guy, and I, I think it was a Toyota Camry. God, I think I got dementia. Um, I think it was a, a newer Toyota Camry. And, um, you know, after this guy got his car stolen, he went back on Craigslist looking for a Toyota Camry and he sees the same car advertised. <laughs> and he goes, how the hell? And he goes by the woman's house and sees the car and he goes, I got screwed. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then he called, you know, our office and then one of our detectives looked into it. And it was funny because we were, it's, it's actually in my book, Grand Theft Auto, because we're we're taking her down to Bronx Central Book and he says, I guess crime doesn't pay. And she goes, it did for a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's one thing that I saw, in the, you know, in the summary about, you know about the grand theft auto i mean a hundred thousand cars and oh 150 150 000 cars is that a year yeah yeah in the 90s that is insane and so gosh so you worked when did you start uh 1987 1987 so you were there through the whole transition Nine eleven. oh yeah uh, uh-huh Maybe wow yeah so so as far as um, you said, organized crime, you got involved in, I mean, were there, were there situations where you kind of ran into Sopranos type characters? Oh or, yeah, sure. I mean, that ran operations like that.
1: Yeah. Um, I worked out of the Bronx Manhattan team. Um, okay. Our guys that worked cause the auto crime division at the time was 120 members. Um, our Brooklyn, Staten Island and Queens team, were more um the soprano type guys like John Gotti's son-in-law and um uh a lot a lot of these guys I mean were capos and different you know of the five families but yeah we, we came across them all the time sure on, on on case takedowns like they had a case on a chop shop or, or a criminal organization you know when it was time to take that case down they would Pull resources from the Bronx and Manhattan, and it was almost like Mission Impossible. You, you you'd be told on a need to know basis, um, a couple of days before you'd, you'd be told, "Listen, there's going to be a case takedown. Be out at the Queen's office at 4 a.m. on Tuesday." And you, you get up three o'clock in the morning, you get your coffee, you drive out there, and you're given a folder. You open up the folder, and there's a guy's photo, his address. If he's not there, go here. If he's not there, look there. And, you know, they want us get pulling people out of bed by 6 a.m. before they can start getting on the phones and disappearing or destroying evidence. But, oh, yeah, I picked up a couple of really dangerous characters.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's got to be super interesting, working in the Bronx and just in that whole that whole, God, 1987. I mean, that was kind of what? New York City was pretty rough at that point. Or was it starting to change? No, it was rough.
1: It it was probably, I I think, and I think you're right. I mean, it it was rough when I got hired. I think the turning point was Giuliani, and that would have been, I was in narcotics at the time. Um, 93, 94 is when things started, crime started going down. Um, You know, people were starting to be held accountable for the nonsense that was going on in New York City. We took it
0: all. Yeah, I, I knew it was Giuliani that was that was involved with a lot of that. And um, so when you were so narcotics. Man, that must have been pretty interesting, too. It was. You know, it's funny.
1: I didn't really want to go to narcotics. It's funny. Um, I was in that. A, I'm sorry. That
0: not, I was just going to ask, is that not a desired? Uh, no,
1: it was. Um, how do I explain this? Because it's a, it's a different world. So I was in plain clothes at the precinct level, uh, pickpockets, robberies, stolen cars at the precinct level. And um, everybody's, you know, everybody's coming to you. You're going to put in for narcotics. You you know, you, you want to be a detective. It's almost like, you know, when you're in high school and everybody's pushing you to go to college. You know what I mean? Like I was really happy where I was, but everybody was like, you know, you know, there's bigger and better things for you out there. And I wanted to go to auto crime. Which at the time to get in there, you had to have a you had to have a relative that was above the rank of captain. There was no way I was getting in there. So, I put in for narcotics, and um, I worked in Manhattan North narcotics for about a year and a half. I, I really didn't particularly enjoy narcotics because it's the same thing every day. Every day, um, your sergeant hands you a hundred bucks. You take the hundred bucks, buy and bust, you, buy and bust. You, you, you got to make change. Right? You make change, you break down into smaller denominations. Then you got to photocopy all the money. You got to photocopy all the uh, denominations, right? Then you got to give it, then you got to give the money to your undercover. Then you get in a car with a sergeant and another detective that's going to be taking the arrest. And then you drive out. And your undercovers get out, they go to a corner, they make a buy, they step off, they get back in the car, they give the description, you move in, you grab three, four guys, you know, selling drugs, you go to the next set, the next set, the next set, and so you get 10, 15 guys in a van. Then you go to the precinct and then you process all these arrests and Mm. you're locking up the dregs of society. And I mean, you're talking about you're dealing with people every day with AIDS, hepatitis, tuberculosis. I mean, the people that are selling drugs on the street, they're street urchins. You know what I mean? They're heroin addicts. But the object of the game is to buy up. You're hoping one of them can lead you to a street manager who can lead you to a guy that's running a spot who can lead you to distributors. So you're buying up constantly. But I mean, my memories are narcotics where I was sick all the time because everybody's coughing on you because everybody I mean, you talk about homeless people that are out in the rain out in the elements. And I mean, it's just a depressing you, you. It's just depressing. And. After about a year and a half of this, I said, you know, a detective shield for me just isn't worth it. I'll go back in a precinct and do another 15 years and retire. But I was lucky enough that my sergeant narcotics was an auto guy. And we always used to talk about cars. And he was a connected guy in the NYPD. And once he got into the auto crime division, he ran into me one day and he said, you should put in. I go, I'll never get in. He goes, I'll get you in. And that's pretty much how I got in.
0: On that note, let's take a break and hear from this week's sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. Being a true crime podcaster, I can research some pretty dark subject matter, and every once in a while I'll need a pick-me-up and a little bit of relaxation. And when I do, I turn to Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a puzzle game that you can play right on your phone, and it's a blast. You'll have a mindful experience as you move through all the different levels and face challenging puzzles. Best Fiends is a fun, casual game that really anyone can play. I mean, I'm flying up these levels, and I'm definitely not an expert. Best Fiends updates monthly with new levels and events, so it will always stay fresh. Best Fiends won't take up much of your time, but what it will do is it will help you stay in contact with your friends and family while still social distancing. Another great feature, you don't even need an internet connection to play. The game has a gorgeous design, and I find it helps relax my mind. Plus, the cute characters just make it all the better. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. I've had to deal with my fair share of anxiety and depression in my life, and I'm happy to say that there is now an easy way to get help. Because if there is something that interferes with your happiness or is holding you back from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. You can now connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's convenient because it needs to be in our hectic lives. So go get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp really is there for you. They have 3,000 U.S.-licensed therapists across all 50 states. And guess what? If you aren't happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time. There are even apps available for your computer or smartphone. So whether you're suffering from anxiety, depression, anger, stress, relationship issues, sleeping, Trauma, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, or self-esteem. They literally have a licensed professional counselor for you. And of course, everything you share is confidential. The best part is, it's a truly affordable option. Who Killed listeners get 10% off their first month with the discount code WHO. So why not get started today? Go to BetterHelp.com WHO. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, for 10% off, go to betterhelp.com slash who. All right, we're back. So my big question is, what made auto crime so desirable for being and being such a hard position to get?
1: It's clean. Okay. Okay, So like how I just spelled out, like how Mm -hmm. narcotics is, it's exciting. A lot can go wrong in narcotics. Um, The probability of getting into a shooting are higher. You're dealing with more people with guns. People that that are selling drugs face a higher jail sentence than someone stealing a car. The the stakes are higher in something like that. Um, The people you're dealing with, you can get AIDS really easy. I mean- Getting stuck with a needle. I mean, people don't realize this, but when you're locking up people in narcotics, you're going into their pockets. Half these people don't even know where they are, and you'll ask them, "You got a needle? You got a spike?" No, no, no. And the next thing you know, you're pulling a needle out of their pocket. I mean, they just shot up. Sometimes they don't remember, and sometimes they don't care. Um, you're fighting with these people. Sometimes they don't want. They don't want to be arrested. They don't want to put their hands behind their backs. And the next thing you know, you're covered in blood with a guy that's, you know, HIV positive, or a guy that's got hepatitis C, you you know what I mean? Auto crime, you're dealing with car thieves. Um, There's not really much. There hasn't been as many corruption scandals. I don't think there's been any in auto crime. But, um, but with narcotics, it just seems like every year, every couple of years, something somewhere happens where someone Put their hand in the cookie jar. I mean, when I was in narcotics, um, there was a guy that um, he was he was like an alcoholic. He was always sweaty, just a, a, an odd kind of guy. And um, one time, one of the teams had done a, uh, a case takedown and they had a couple of ounces of coke on the table, and he just walked over, scooped some up, and went into the bathroom. And you know, half the guys were like, "Is he kidding around? Like, what is he doing?" And he comes out of the bathroom like nothing. So they called internal affairs. They went up to his house that night and, you know, they don't, we call it dole because that's the name of the test, the drug test. They doled him at the, uh, cause he lived upstate. They they doled him at like a state trooper barracks and he tested the highest, um, the highest um, positive test in NYPD history. Cause he had just done Coke and you know, that's how much of an addict he was that he did it in front of everybody. And they, and to their credit, they turned him in. But auto crime was clean. I, I can't explain it. It's more like um, I think it you makes want your kid that to but be makes a sense. banker, Or you want
0: your kid to be an auto mechanic. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, yeah. I mean, I, I see virtues in both. You know, like I I can totally see both sides of, of the coin on that one, because like with narcotics, I, I could see how, being, you know, buying and busts and the hope. You're basically just hoping that you'll get maybe to that person that is a, a next level Right. Up. But in the and meantime, then, it's a numbers game. Yeah. And so you, you, I used to work in cold call sales and I had this manager, Benny Bonanno, believe it or not, was his last name. Iro- ironically. <laughs> that's a great name. I know, you know, especially since you worked in organized crime, double, yeah. you, know, not, you know, but no relation we'll say. And uh, he would, he would say, you know, as my sales manager, if you make a hundred phone calls, cold calls in a day and one person talks to you, that's a good day. And I'm like, Man, that sucks. Like. Right. So basically that's like the kind of the same thing with Oh yeah. buying and busting. I think that's like the percentages are probably really low. And I completely understand your description of it being dirty to clean and why wouldn't you want to be in a division or a or a unit that isn't dealing with that lower tier of society on a daily basis and it also gives you a little bit more opportunity to flex your brain muscles you know it, it, that's exactly it because i i was bored i, I mean literally and people would say how can you
1: be bored working in narcotics i go oh my god it's the same thing every day you know, i grew up in a neighborhood there were more car thieves in my neighborhood as a kid like you know i love to tell the story like people ask me well what was your introduction to car theft it says well one day freshman i'll never forget this freshman year of high school me and another kid who i grew up with who's actually became my partner in the police department he's still a cop we're playing wiffle ball in front of his house wiffle ball and this buick regal comes rolling through the street and it's three guys we go to school with now they're 14 so obviously (laughs) they don't have a driver's license because back then you needed to 16 to have a permit in new york city back then with an adult these guys were 14 they were freshmen in high school they come rolling by us waving in this buick regal with jersey plates and we're like what the fu-? you know like what was what, what it you're like, we're <laughs> laughing like they, they had to rob that car and the next thing you know the precinct cops come rolling around the block right so there's a car chase and they get away. And then and I went to Catholic school, you know. So the next day in Catholic school, we're in the cafeteria and I go, hey, Fitz, you know, uh, what, what? what, You know, it's like we found, he goes, we found it because it was they used to dump a lot of stolen cars in the dumps. So what the kids would do is they would go into the dumps and learn how to drive and then sometimes take the cars out of the dumps. And then, you know, once you figure out back then, it's, it wasn't difficult to steal a car. If you had any kind of me- mechanical ability, you could figure it out. So my, And then I worked in a gas station as a kid, and people were always bringing in cars. And so I, I kind of had an introduction to the world of auto theft before I was a cop. A lot of the mm-hmm. kids I grew up with became car thieves. You know, unfortunately, got into drugs, and, you know, they're not around. But my neighborhood, I, I used to see it so much. I used to know what to look for. I mean, with the older cars, with the older Chevys and General Motors products, with I don't know if you remember, the steering column had like a long neck to the yep. steering wheel. Well, all you had to do was break that with a screwdriver or a hammer and there were two pins and you, I can't believe I'm giving an auto theft class. It's like <laughs> such a rat, but I mean, it's just so easy to steal a car back then that bad guys would wrap a bandana around it or put something around it or the old vent windows on the Chevys or something. They'd pop out a vent window and tape it. Or th- there was a lot of tricks that you could just spot. And it, it, it's funny because sometimes I'm with my girlfriend even to this day, I'll spot an older car. and I'll go, I could take that car in 10 seconds. She goes, what? I says, I could take that car. I'll spot two kids in a car and I'll go car stolen And she goes, how do you know? I said, the way they're looking, they're nervous wrecks in that car. I can just tell their body language. Like I would run that plate. You know what I mean? If I was still a cop.
0: Yeah. I guess that probably never goes away. I mean, no. just that's that sixth sense of just knowing something's amiss and recognizing you know, things are hmm, this maybe not, you know, it's kind of like Sesame street. Like one of these things is not like the other, you know what I mean? Touche. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely interesting. And, and so my, one of my buddies, like one of my best friends actually is a, is an auto mechanic. And so I've been around cars a lot and my other buddy's dad collects cars and, um, and he's really, really big into that. And so uh I'm interested just in like the whole theft aspect and and how it ch- how it changed with technology. Did did you see a big downturn in theft as the technology improved? Like as far as like yes laser and soda no. keys and-, and
1: you're right. So with, with nowadays, with well, you got to realize something: criminals adapt. You know, humans are adaptable creatures. Therefore. Criminals are adaptable creatures. Right. Right. So, you know, they, I love when they say, well, violent crime is down, violent crime is down. Well, criminals kind of caught on that identity theft, right. Is the, why would I, everyone's using a debit card. So why would I go into a store and point a gun at a guy where you're going to see my face? I might only get a hundred bucks. And depending on what state you live in, you may never see the light of day, or I can figure out a way to pull money out of your bank account or hack into your Amazon account and send packages to my house or or third party, you're never going to see me. It's going to be in another jurisdiction and the police are not even going to know what to do with it. It could be bothered with it. Um, Auto crime. So with technology, a lot of your garden variety thieves, yeah, they've got basically got left out in the cold because you know, that you know, the car they're not making those cars anymore. There's not a market for them anymore. I mean, you know, I'm sure if I drove around my neighborhood for two days, I could find a nineteen eighty-nine Toyota Camry that I could take, but no one would want it. There wouldn't be a body shop if I brought it to a chop shop. They go, what
0: The hell am I gonna stop do this, this car anymore,
1: dude? Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? You could bring it to a glass place, you know, you couldn't even part it out. No one wants it you know what I mean? So those it's guys basically got worth... in the bag, there's always going to be a market for auto theft. Um, there are things to steal cars to, to, to program keys. Um, in New York city, I would say back then, 25% of the auto theft reports were fraudulent. We dealt with that uh, big time where people got in over their heads with their lease, Um, a car loan they don't want the car anymore and you know report it stolen wait 30 days get the check and they would take it to a body shop that would make it disappear um change the vin number and sell it to someone else that's double dipping so what i would do is we'll go to a salvage yard we'll get another vin number we'll switch it i'll sell it to you report it stolen the insurance compensates me and you're paying me for the car you know what I mean? So there's just there's just so much of it.
0: Now, you've been out of the force for close to what, thirteen years now. Yeah, yeah. And so you said that you got bored when you retired. <laughs> um, and and how has writing been able to uh, fill that void?
1: It it fills my time. That's for sure. Um, you know, when I first started, at first I would. I had to be careful. I I didn't want to get anybody in trouble or divorced because my other books, like Grand Theft Auto is, is, I mean, there's funny stories in there, but that's everything about the auto theft industry, what to look for buying a stolen car and just my stories of how people stole cars. Um, My other books, The NYPD's Flying Circus or NYPD Through the Looking Glass, that's more of funny stories and ridiculous things that happened to me and characters I worked with and people's peculiarities and just, the ins- what goes on inside an NYPD police station, what you don't see? I-, I didn't want, you know, I mean, a lot of my friends are cops. I mean, you know what I mean? I, I don't want to alienate 90% of my friends. So I had to be careful. I had to change, you know, obviously the names, the dates, the places, the precincts. I had to add characters that didn't exist and take characters out. Um, once I figured that out, then there was no stopping me because now, I mean, it's therapeutic. I get, uh, you know, it's, And what's funny is my friends will call me up now because at first they were terrified. Like, what are you writing about? (laughs) You know, (laughs) you you didn't put this in there, did you? And I, you know, (laughs) my wife doesn't know that we were, you know, we were out fishing that day. You you know what I mean? A lot (laughs) of that crap, nothing big, but just stuff that's going to cause someone a pain in the ass at home. So, um, but once I figured that out, um, it's therapeutic. It's funny. And just, there's just times like, I'll be out with friends and I'm telling a story. I'll go, Oh, that's a great. Idea. And like, what? And I just start writing something down. Cause I, I totally forgot about that. Or Facebook's a great thing. Cause some of my friends, i oh, remember so-and-so and I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot about that guy. He was nuts. You know what I mean? And then we, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I always keep like a little uh, notebook or just even jot down on just a scrap piece of paper. Like if you have an idea or something and with, siri on my phone i can just be like take a note (laughs) you know if i have some sort of brain uh you know my light goes off or goes on in the brain and uh yeah i definitely think that that's a very smart way of doing it and yeah facebook's a good way of of jogging your memory what are some of the craziest or who are some of the craziest characters that you ever worked with And again you don't have to name names but Give me an example of one of the craziest things that maybe they did that oh. we would we wouldn't know about as a general public. <laughs> with, oh, without I, well, getting them well, fired, I arrested, or people I work. With. <laughs> I mean, that's that. Hey, it's your your opportunity to share whatever you yeah. think
1: is um, funniest. Right. So, in in my book, Grand Theft Auto, there's a story in there about we did a search warrant out in Queens and my partner's walking around with a, a hand grenade he found in a shoebox, and he's walking around it, and he's like, yeah, from Vietnam era. I'm like, "What is that live? And he goes, yeah, I think so. And he's like marveling at it. I, I don't want to curse on it. I, I, put that thing oh, you can, down. You, can, you, can you, you know what I mean? And this he's is... like, I was in the army. I'm like, dude, you were a cook. Like, <laughs> you, you weren't a Navy seal.
0: You weren't, a, you know, put that thing down. So, Hey, I've seen I Under Siege. Wait, I know it. what a we, cook can do. What's that? I said, I've seen Under Siege with Steven Seagal. I know what a cook can do.
1: <laughs> the funny thing is, we used to call this guy Steven Seagal because he was very <laughs> immersed in, in in Asian culture. He was like a black belt in jujitsu and all that crap. And he'd be out in the parking lot with one of them poles, those sticks, and... He was a pisser. I worked with another guy we used to call Cancer because he killed more people than Cancer. Oh, uh, yeah, he was in a couple of really bad gun battles and came out on top. That guy, he that's a story from my book, um, NYPD Flying Circus. He used to work with okay, so you want to talk about characters. So my old partner, Cancer, before he worked with me, used to work with a guy <laughs> that was an amateur magician in his free time, right? laziest cop in the world like it's in the early 80s I mean early 90s we're going to bars trying to pick up girls and you couldn't compete with this guy because the magician would start pulling flowers out of his out of his sleeve and pulling coins behind he's like cock blocking you with magic so I used to tell my old partner I go get him out of here that's a line I gotta write down what's that
0: (laughs) cock blocking me with magic
1: that's in my book so anyway um so cancer was a real active cop and the magician wasn't so they get called. so one night on the midnights they get called down to uh, a basement apartment it comes over as calls for help so they go into the basement and there's two apartments in the basement you got the super's apartment and another apartment so they go to door number one they knock on the door no one answers my partner goes to knock on door number two and the magician tells him I don't knock on that door come on let's get a cup of coffee Goes well let's just see let's just see and he goes come on we made enough noise down here with our radios if someone needed help they, they would have come out already let's go so the magician convinces my partner to leave now what they didn't know was behind door number two the door they didn't knock on the super was selling coke out of the apartment and he had fallen behind he was buying coke on consignment and not paying his distributor well, in the drug world, they don't send debt collectors or friendly reminders or turn off your power. They sent a couple of these uh, Albanian guys and a girl. And what they did was it's an old gypsy trick. They knocked on the door and they put the attractive female in front of the door. So the soup is all coked up. He thinks he's going to you know, sell coke or get a blowjob. He opens the door for the girl. The three of them bum rush him. They start pistol whipping him, kicking his ass. Where's the money? Where's the coke? He doesn't have the answers. So they shoot the guy in the head, they roll him up in a carpet and they take him out to the furnace and they throw him in like a Puerto Rican fire log, right? So while he's roasting in the furnace, they go back into the apartment and they're ransacking the apartment. Well, my old partner and the magician show up and they're outside the door. So the two Yugoslavians tell the girl, all right, listen, this is what we're going to do. If these cops keep, if these cops knock on the door, you're going to let them in. That was a railroad apartment, right? With rooms going off to the sides. We're going to be on either room. We're going to leave. You lead them through the hallway, yelling at Yugoslavia and pointing to the kitchen like, help, help. When you pass the threshold of that door, get down on the floor. We're going to come out and shoot the cops in the head, and then we'll throw them in the furnace, and then we'll get out of here. So that was the plan, but they never knocked on the door. They. The magician said that's the that's the title of the story. Last night a magician saved my life. So anyway, when they when my partner and the magician went outside, there was a car parked on the fire hydrant, which was the getaway car. So it's the same way they caught the son of Sam. They just unwillingly rode a car, a parking ticket, right? So the super goes missing. People are looking for him. They check the 911 calls. They see that there was a call there a couple of nights ago. They pull my partner and the magician in. They go, do you you know anything about this? Yeah, there was a call for help. We knocked on one door. We didn't knock on the other door, but we wrote a parking ticket. Parking ticket leads back to the female. She starts singing. You know, she doesn't want to go to jail for the rest of her life. She's trying to cut herself out of the story, but she went down with them they were able to you know, round up the hitmen. They had to go back to the building like the next week in the dead of winter and shut the heat off to pull the guy's bones and teeth and skull out, out of the uh, furnace.
0: Oh my God. That's that's crazy. That's a wild one. That's a yeah, That's what, I mean, crap. The like magician. A magician. Time. That's
1: why my books, I guess that's why my books sell because there's just stories like that there, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, geez, so, so in the 90s, I mean, you guys you said you were, you know, be out at, or in the 80s, you'd be out at the bars or whatever. Um uh, I mean, do you have any great uh old-timey stories from uh from, from you know, the heyday of New York City?
1: Uh what just like hanging out?
0: Yeah, just like hanging out with your cop buddies. It was and,
1: a different time, okay? So back then um the Bronx was a different place. Um, there were more places to hang out. And it, 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 you, ever see the, you ever see the beginning of Goodfellas? Absolutely. Okay. So in the beginning of Goodfellas, this show, like he's talking, it was a joyous time and everybody's walking into the bar and everybody's, it was kind of like that, like in the cop bars. And just the shit that would go on, like just the funny stuff that I saw, like there was one bar in the 4-0 called Star Wars. Okay. Can I curse on here?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, so there was this one bar in the 4-0 precinct in the South Bronx called Star Wars. And it, it was like the cantina scene in Star mm-hmm. Wars. Like you had pimps, hoes. Um, it just fucked up people. What was, the other, what was the other bar down in the 4-0? They had a moose head. And every now and then someone would shoot the moose head. There was a <laughs> moose head mounted above the bar. And it was like bullet hole ridden. Then you had Glackens that was owned by a correction officer. They were like open 24 hours. Like if you did a midnight, you go in there at seven o'clock in the morning. Like I wouldn't do like in, in my fifties, I would never think to do it. But when you're 21 years old and you just did a midnight and all the old timers are going to a bar, you want to be part of the crowd. So I've worked an overnight shift. And I've, I've, I've done it. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know how I did it. Like, I I don't know how I did it. Um,
0: you know, not being a, police officer my frames of reference are obviously driven through movies and tv and i mean my one of my favorite shows or the favorite show of mine is the wire did you ever watch the wire you know it's funny you should say that because i just started watching that recently i'm okay i really enjoy that it's it's yeah it i always tell people like if you're not it's by the third episode you realize that this is more than just a story about one particular gang and it's it's just it's widely considered the best drama because of the fact that it never leaves loose ends every single character that they introduce they always have not just they always I mean it's on for five seasons but they always there's always an ending to their character arc and you know, with the Sopranos, it can't always say that, you know, there was a lot of stuff that was still left unsaid, especially really? with the, the end-
1: Sopranos was notorious for leaving you down a rabbit hole.
0: Yeah. They leave oh. Something out there. You're like, Oh, they're going to come back to that. And they never did the Russian, the Russian. Oh.
1: Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, the best episode, maybe the best episode of the Sopranos when, uh, Oh gosh. When uh, Polly walnuts and uh, the Pine Barons, and yeah, when they're stuck in the, out in the jersey pi- yeah yeah and they're <gasps> eating they're eating ketchup and
1: <laughs> I, I could watch that like right now you know it's, oh, oh yeah kick out
0: of that. that episode is so funny and he's like you hit him right
1: yeah yeah i got him i got him <laughs> it's like right and then it's like two kids <laughs> trying to convince each other
0: yeah yeah we got yeah we got him yeah yeah and then but they never go back to it it's
1: just like well the best is the camera at that last scene when it pans up that you know the guy climbed up a tree
0: uh, if you watch
1: that right they're okay. looking around looking around his footprints just end okay and i i think tony says to them do you want to go back or something they go no no fuck it and the blood
0: there's like a blood trail and it just stops and then the camera just pans up mm. he's in a tree now nah, it's okay i'll have to go back and rewatch that yeah i wasn't maybe necessarily as uh, i mean that's how i
1: interpreted it
0: no that would make sense (sighs) i mean i definitely you know knowing filmmakers and the way that they used the camera i mean the camera is used to tell the story and they would much prefer to especially david chase who you know created the sopranos he would prefer to show it than say it because again it's a movie or it's a show and that's the whole point of that medium whereas you know as a writer you're trying to write out how it's going to look and how it feels and and i'm sure that writing you mentioned it being therapeutic and um i assume that that has to help with one not being a police officer anymore and basically you're able to look at all the good times and stuff and and I'm sure that there were some, you know, not great times, but it at least allows you to reflect on some of the funnier side of things and the things that you don't necessarily hear as a, just a normal person like myself. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to reading, reading your book. And, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. You, I d- definitely. Know, I'm just
1: telling somebody, I was just talking to somebody the other day, they were asking me about my career and I said, you know, I'm lucky. Like, it's always what I wanted to do since I was five years. And you talk about David Chase. I mean, I grew up as a little boy. Um, and back then the movies were PG, R, and X. And I was like six or seven years old. And I begged my parents to take me to see The French Connection and The 7-Ups. And then every Friday night was The Rockford Files, which uh, David Chase was involved with that, right? Wasn't he one of the writers? I think so. And I just I, – i that's the era I grew up in. And my parents wanted me to go to college and – I, didn't, I wouldn't hear it. I, I, I wanted to be an NYPD cop and there was no stopping me. And, um, you know, I, I got to do something that I really enjoyed and worked in a place, a specific place in the NYPD where I always wanted to work but never thought I could get there. And it, it was sad retiring. It, re- it really was because um, things were changing. The department was changing. My office was changing. And... I'm a firm believer everybody outlives their usefulness. You could be the greatest employee or, or, or be the guy or, or, or know the most, but eventually you're going to get replaced. That merry-go-round is going to go on without you. And I saw it with so many other people that work there. And it's almost like you know the NFL, like better to get rid of a guy a year early than a year late. And um, I I didn't think about retirement up until like two years before. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. Everyone's like, oh, you're going to do 20. You're kidding. You're staying. You're a lifer. You're going to be at 30 years. Because I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I mean, there were phases of it that I didn't enjoy. But overall, I've got no complaint. But for me, what I struggled with when I retired was the excitement. I love chasing car thieves. That's the best, the worst secret. Like NYPD says, we don't chase car thieves. Of course they do. (laughs) It's if someone gets hurt, that's when they turn around and say, we told you not to chase, but I love the car chases. I love the foot chases. I love, like you were talking about the wire, the relationships with the district attorneys were great. Some of them, the judges um, getting search warrants, um, getting up in the middle of the night to drive out to Queens, to steal someone's garbage that they put out in front to find out who they were. (laughs) You you know what I mean? Um, Just things like that, not steal, but they put it out to the curb. But I mean, just, Yeah, It's things like that I miss, but the books enable me to kind of relive it. And then, you know, telling these stories with, you know, people like yourself, you know, nice enough to put me on their shows. So I I, kind of get to relive it a little bit. And I guess that helps me. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's funny. Like after I get off the phone, after I get off with you, I got to go pressure wash my roof. Okay. Now I'm 50 something years old. Right. It's like, I know. I, you know, I'd love to jump in a police car and ride around and look for these, but I know I'd pull something. Like <laughs> I, I know if I had a, you know, roll out of a car, I know I'd pull a muscle in my ass or, or tear my AC. I know it. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just, I, I can't do it no more.
0: Yeah. You, 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 you pulled the plug, you, you pulled a Belichick, you pulled the plug a year before, right. before you burned out. And, you know, you're kind of, I don't know. I, th- I would say that you left at the right time oh, yeah. and <laughs> yeah, I mean, with everything that has gone on since, uh, but you know, as far as like I interviewed when I, one of the first cases that I covered was uh, a missing girl here in Cleveland, uh, Amy Maholovic, And she was, um, 10 and i was 10 so it was one of those cases that always stuck with me and so when i started podcasting this is this was the first case that i did and i did like 16 episodes on it and i interviewed uh phil torsney who was former special agent with the fbi and he's one of the guys that caught whitey um, oh okay bulger and so he worked and he did work in cleveland but he did go to and work in boston after he worked in Cleveland and then they brought him back as a special agent for, you know, the investigation that is ongoing. Um, I'm pretty sure he's off at the moment, but he said when he retired, cause he had to retire at 57 for the FBI from the FBI, it like gets a forced retirement age. He's like, I was so jacked up. I went to Afghanistan <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, as a con, like as a contractor, he was, yeah, he, yeah, he's, I, I get every officer that I interview, it's definitely hard to hang them up or hang it up. And I think that it's like you mentioned the pro athletes side of things too. I think it's hard. It's always hard to just, you
1: know, you're the last one to know. Well, true. Most people, I, I mean, most people, I just knew, I, I just saw there were new people coming in, new ideas. They were changing things. Um, it became more, um, everything was becoming computerized. It, it, it just, they didn't give you time to, to develop have, the case. They were on you, on you, on you. And I was like,
0: Ugh. You would have had to learn a whole new way of policing. That's exactly right. In, in, in the last 10 years of your 30 years. So what would be the fun of that as far as? It wouldn't you know, have
1: been. It, exactly. And it would have left a bit of tape. I got out at, at the right time, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, I from the sounds of it and seeing how you, tell the stories and you're animated animated about it and you definitely seem like you could tell these stories all day every day and uh i have a feeling that this is definitely not the last book that you are no
1: i'm right i got a fifth one i'm combing through now i'll probably have that out by spring
0: okay well i uh let's plug give me some plugs you know plug your other other Um... books
1: my first book, Dickheads and Debauchery and Other Ingenious Ways to Die, is a politically incorrect way of how to live longer. <laughs> it's just a lot of my childhood and growing up in the Bronx and they, everybody would call like diseases and things the. So when I was a kid, you didn't want to get the cancer, <laughs> yeah. a heart attack, you know, the crabs, that everything was the. That book is, you know, politically incorrect way of living longer. Then I wrote... Um, NYPD Through the Looking Glass stories from inside America's largest police department. That's um, loaded with stories of uh, just the characters in the NYPD, the things they did. Same as NYPD Flying Circus, Cops, Crime, and Chaos. There's a story in there about a cop I knew. We used to call Mel Diablo. And he wasn't Spanish. He was Irish, but he was the devil. <laughs> and this guy had the Prince of Darkness working for him. And um, wasn't a bad guy, but... The, the, the shit that he pulled there'd be no way he could get away with the things D- to give you a perfect example he's drinking in a bar in midtown this is from nypd's flying circuits he's in a bar in midtown and he's talking to a couple of floozies i think they were prostitutes and he's kidding around with them and he's getting drunk and one of those uh, horse and carriage guys uh, handsome cab operators with the top hat and the coat comes walking in to use the bathroom so El diablo turns to the guy and he goes hey you mind if i take Biscuit for a spin and the guy goes yeah sure he goes, okay, come on, ladies. He brings the two floozies outside, loads them into the carriage, and takes the horse takes off with the horse and carriage. Well, the horse quickly figures out that there's an idiot behind the wheel or behind the, the reins or whatever you want to call it. The horse decides, I'm going to cut through Central Park and get some oats. It's going back to the stable. He can't stop the horse and carriage. It's not stopping for lights. It's heading for Central Park. Well, the other handsome cab operators along 57th Street are like, hey, there goes Joe's horse and carriage, and that ain't Joe. So you got like a Ben Hur moment where you've got <laughs> a stolen horse and carriage hauling ass through Central Park, and then you got the other guy's friends on their horse and carriage is like Yonkers Raceway, like the Trotters, and they cut him off. I mean, I mean, it was almost a freaking catastrophe. So, I mean, long story short, they stopped the horse and carriage, The floozies took off. They wanted no part of this because they were prostitutes. And then um, he ran to an ATM machine and paid the guy, I guess, 500 bucks. I guess that's what you could take out. And like (laughs) everything was. But I mean, it's stories like this. There was another uh, story from um, NYPD through the looking glass, um, the brown widow, a, a pretty Hispanic female cop. And she was notorious for busting up cops marriages. And she was got involved with this older cop. He divorced his wife. And the kids disowned him and they started living together. Well, the guy drops out of a heart attack. So the guy's family has a funeral and the brown widow shows up in a mini skirt and heels and uh, Jackie Onassis glasses. And she starts putting on a production at the casket. The guy's ex-wife gets up at the funeral and starts bitch slapping her and banging her head on the coffin and no one would help her. I mean, she got her ass kicked at a funeral and that one cop lifted a hand. So, I mean, it's a crazy things that went on. I mean, that I saw in the NYPD, I'm sure you're listening. will get a kick out of it.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it sounds absolutely wild. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, some of these stories end up on, uh, on TV, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I definitely, uh, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show and no problem, man. Thank you very me a, much. giving me a breakdown of your, you know, your history and your, your books and it's always interesting to talk to you know police officers and hearing the, the funny side of things opposed to some of the ugly side of things and at this point in time it's okay to have a little bit of uh, humor and yeah, we could I, all, could, we could all use it all day
1: long and I, I could write dark all day long but sure. I mean and I guess at some point I will but I, right now I'm having too much fun telling the funnier things that happen there's dark stuff in there but I give it an ironic
0: yeah you you give it a twist that's not going to make it you're not going to leave feeling like oh man or sad you know there's going to be a a humorous twist or ironic twist to it
1: yeah nobody likes the guy that drags the dead dog into the room
0: you you know (laughs) (laughs) no no definitely not definitely not so i uh you said you had to go power wash your roof so (laughs) yeah uh What's the temperature? It must be nice there today.
1: It's warmed up a little bit. It's uh, it's probably in the high 60s.
0: Oh, geez, wow. In okay. the 40s this week. Yeah. So, where are you located? I'm just
1: outside of Tampa.
0: Okay, so you're actually in Florida now. All right, I didn't realize that. So I was wondering. I'm like, man, you're going on the roof, and <laughs> I'm in. No, no, no. So, no, no, so no, no. I'm not. like, I'm like, wow. It's uh, it's only 50 here today, but I mean, I guess you could do your roof. <laughs> That's nice. That's cool. So you're just outside of Tampa. How long you been down in Florida?
1: About 13 years.
0: Oh man. I have a buddy that lives up in Jacksonville and that's nice up there too. Yeah. He's, uh, he sells medical supplies and yeah, his wife works for the Mayo Clinic and yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful area. And I used to go to Key West all the time back in the early two thousands and late two thousands. And, um, that's a wild, that's a whole nother part of Florida.
1: <laughs> oh, down in Monroe County. You took the key. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Down, down. Yeah. My buddy's dad used to get a place at mile marker 25 at Summerlin key. And we'd go down and hit Duval street. And yeah, that was wild, <laughs> wild times. It's been a while
1: since I've been down there and I should take advantage of it. I'm only, you know,
0: I think they're limiting now the cruise ships, So I think that is going to be a, benefit for the locals so um that something to look forward to (laughs) so uh yeah again i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to no thank you come on the show and i uh again enjoyed our conversation and uh be safe doing your power washing and (laughs) please do not fall off the roof I'm gonna I'll try my
1: best. Thank you, Bill. I really appreciate you letting me come on your
0: show. No no problem at all, Vic. And it was a pleasure. And when you do come out with a new book, we can always do this again as well.
1: I'd love to. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, I will have a link in the show notes for all of your books. And again, be safe, stay healthy, and thanks so much. Thank you. All right, have a great day, Vic. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this week's episode of Who Killed? And many thanks to author vic ferrari for joining me during these crazy holiday times as a reminder he is the author of four books that are currently available on amazon the nypd's flying circus cops crime and chaos nypd through the looking glass stories from the inside of america's largest police department grand theft auto the nypd's auto crime division as well as dickheads and debauchery and other ingenious ways to die Again, all of his books are available on Amazon. I drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you guys do enjoy this podcast, as well as other shows that I produce, you can help support my independent journalism by clicking on the Donate button on the left-hand side of dot slowburnmedia.com. Again, that is slow minus the W. You can also contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at bill dash huffman dash three we we'll also provide a link in the show notes and just so you know every contribution really does help keep these podcasts running you can also support the show by leaving a five-star review on apple podcasts or wherever it is that you do listen to your favorite shows those five stars do help keep important cases that i cover such as angela's from last week in the spotlight And again, if you'd like to stay up to date on the cases I have covered, as well as the new shows that I have coming down the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. Again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, be healthy and stay safe.